All right, we are here with the man, the myth, the legend, Greg O'Gallagher on Under the Influence. Welcome, man. We're we're so happy to have you. I didn't know how close you were, you know, just next to me. Dude, uh, I'm happy to be here, man. It's a really dope spot you got here in Miami. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think we have a ton to cover for you guys. We're going to talk about dating, fitness, money, business, you name it. So I figured why not get in and start with, you know, you know, obviously you told me you're from Toronto, but would love to hear more about your childhood and what it was like growing up in Canada. And then, you know, when you started coming to the States a lot more. hundred percent, man. I was, uh, so I was from a family of five. It okay. was, uh, I had three brothers, one sister. So it was a pretty big family and a lot of like, uh, sports growing up. Um, and yeah, no, I was from Toronto and I just, you know, most of my childhood memories were playing sports and video games and I was obsessed with video games. You know, if you, if I, I could spend hours, eight hours a day lost in a video game just because I could level up the characters, one of the coolest things to me. Um, and so my childhood pretty much revolved around, uh, sports, uh, video games, hated school was not for me. I hated the classroom. Um, and you know, my father was a massive influence on me. He was very, very successful, had a very, very strong mindset and always impressed on me working hard, setting goals, um, and waking up and having that drive, that determination, that ambition. And so my father really formed a lot of my sort of outlook, um, Mm -hmm. at a very, very young age. And, uh, I knew, you know, growing up, I wanted to become strong. I wanted to become successful and it was just very drilled into my mind. Now the strength and the fitness I knew I could do absolutely, but becoming successful, um, I was like kind of, that was something I was going to have to figure out along the way. Yeah. hundred percent, man. And so, and it just comes down to your environment, like what you said, right? Like when you're in that environment, just growing up, it really molds who you are, especially in the early days where I think that's when you're most moldable. A hundred percent. It was actually quite interesting because, um, you know, speaking of my childhood, like I was as a kid, I was kind of known as shy Gregory. I was shy in wow. groups of people in school. I kind of was very to myself. I just remember most of my life was like very much living in my head. So I actually had to like learn how to kind of become more outwardly confident to become more social. Um, and it's weird because I post all these videos, I speak in front of people. Um, but that actually was like, was like kind of something hard for me. Wow. So would you say growing up, you're more introverted for sure? And then has that changed since now? Or would you say you're still introverted? I was absolutely more introverted growing up, but it was interesting because I think everyone has like certain elements of being introverted, certain elements of being extroverted. Like when I was playing hockey or playing sports, I would be extremely extroverted. Um, When I kind of found my own rhythm, Um, you know, if we were in like a drama class or something, I definitely like felt way more comfortable, but like in overall, like just kind of being in school with groups of people, um, I just kind of felt very, very shy. Wow. So it was like those little different scenarios and settings where I felt like I came to life, uh, came, you know, came to life. Yeah. But then most of it, I just kind of felt very, very shy. So I actually had to overcome that, um, completely. hundred percent. And so like, what would you say was that big turning point? Did you have any like one specific point where you started just become more confident? Maybe it's because, you know, social media took off. Maybe it's mm-hmm. something that, you know, you, you hit a certain point in the gym where you're like, wow, like, you know, I'm, I'm 
getting more into my own shell, essentially. Yeah, you know what? So fitness training really gave me a lot of confidence. Working out gave me a ton of confidence. Um, I actually started like doing push-ups at a very, very young age. I started lifting weights at 13, 14. I thought the whole idea that we can actually, you know, do some push-ups, do some chin-ups, do some curls, and actually build more muscle and look stronger. I thought that was a gift. That was the coolest thing ever. Like imagine just waking up, being born, and just being stuck with the body you have, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. You know, to me, it's like everyone is sleeping on this incredible gift. You show up to the gym a few days a week, you push hard, and you can carve an incredible physique. So I found so much fulfillment and power in that, but you know, as far as like kind of getting out of my shell, it's interesting. I think, I think like young men, it's very, very important like you have like sort of a role model or a mentor. Um, it's very hard to figure things out on your own. Um, especially if something doesn't come naturally to you. So I did have like, you know, my older brother and he had like a, a, a friend and, you know, I just kind of like, he just kind of gave me some different advice and stuff like that. And I just did it. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. It was, just it was, that older was it. brother teaching you. Older brother and like one of his friends that was a little bit, bit more like overconfident. I just like, you just kind of tell me some tips and stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. And I just do just it. Just do it. Yeah. And so like, what age were you when you started to get into the gym, you know, and, and take it seriously? I was... Well, 13, I was lifting um, weights. Wow. And I'd, I'd do it, you know, pretty consistently. I don't think I was 100% consistent, but I would love to work out. And then 14 years old, I don't think I ever went a week without training. Like, it was like a, I, w I would be training, you know, three, four days a week wow. all the time. I'd be either doing some, some strength training or at 14 years old, I was very into, like, cardio, conditioning, interval training, running. And so I'd kind of do like, you know, two or three different strength sessions a week. And then I do quite a bit of uh, cardio work. Nice. Yeah. And so I guess basically in your high school days, how did you continue to get better and better year over year in the gym? You know, were you, you know, watching YouTube videos? Did you like learn about dieting? Mm -hmm. Kind of what was that journey in high school? Or, or you know, even for just a person who's a, a brand new beginner, right? I feel like it's that that early day where you really don't know what to do in terms of lifting or eating that most people are kind of just hung up on. Yeah. So I actually like followed quite a few different fitness people. Um, and one of the guys was named Ross animate who did strength and conditioning for fighters. And I just followed these different workouts and I would set goals. And this is the most important thing you do. Um, if you want to build a great body, you have to set goals. So as soon as you start working out, find out how strong you are in these different exercises. And then, you know, then start to make goals. Like one of my first goals when I was very young was like doing like 50 pound chin-ups, doing chin-ups with like 50 pounds. Wow. Um, and I was always setting goals. So many of us work out, we have gym memberships, we show up, but we have no goals. And so I was constantly setting goals. I would track every single workout that I did. And I would get so damn frustrated if I had a plateau. If I got stuck, I'd get so frustrated. And then I would come up with a hypothesis. Okay, well, you know what? I'm stuck on this. Let me try this different solution to try and break this plateau and get the 60 pound weight of chin-ups. And I would try it. And it's funny, you know, it's funny because people know me now as I lift weights twice a week. Okay. For most of my time, I was training three days a week. Now yeah. I do twice a week. I get amazing recovery. I show up at the gym. I push hard. I'm not really trying to get bigger anymore. I've been lifting for many, many years. I'm just trying to maintain size, strength, and just stay very, very lean. And I find that when I train two days a week, my appetite is lower and it's easier for me to maintain a low body fat. When I start hitting the weights hard three days a week, I want to eat more. And a lot of guys relate to that. Um, but in any case, back in that testing era, I always found that when I tried to like break plateaus by adding more, 
training bench more often, doing pull-ups three times a week, I would regress. And it was only when I kind of backed off, took more rest, pushed harder, maybe changed the movements around that things started to get very, very good. And in fitness and strength and conditioning and fitness as a whole, the amateur coaches just want to throw a ton at you. They want to make you feel like you're working so hard. You know, you finish your work like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Throughout the week, you're just, man, I'm burnt out. And because you feel like you're working so hard, you're sweating, you're sore, you're exhausted, you think, well, this must be working. Mm -hmm. This must work. This must be the best program. And that's not at all how it works. What actually is the sign of success in fitness is, did you come back stronger? Were you able to lift that one extra rep? After two months, did you add 10 pounds to the bar? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, then that program is awesome. And I even tell people, look, that want to join my program, I'm like, hey, if you're making great progress, if you're hitting personal records in the gym and you're seeing great results while staying lean, don't even join my program. Keep riding that wave until you hit a plateau. And funny enough, when I say that, very few people are actually making those that, that progress. Yeah. Most people are like, I'm not doing any of that, so I am going to join your program. Um, and that's the reality is that my program is hardwired to just get you stronger, improve on these different metrics, um, and that's what results in the best the best sort of progress and the system, there's a method to the madness. We do less, but we do it with intensity and that's what allows you to get stronger. 100%. Yeah. And I think it's just that core principle you brought up, right? Which is setting goals and pushing for it and then mm -hmm. setting new goals. And I think not even just in fitness, right? In business, in dating, what, whatever it is, if you're not tracking and setting a goal to hit, I think that's why a lot of people end up hitting plateaus in just mm -hmm. all parts of life, right? And people are way too quick to give up, okay? So they'll set a strength goal or some muscle building goal, they hit a plateau, and then they'll think the answer is jumping on anabolic steroids. Um, or they will have a fat loss goal to get very lean. Maybe they do actually get a six pack, but then like, man, I'm starving all the time. I'm hungry, I'm working out, I can't have fun, this isn't worth it. Well, dude, you didn't do it the right way. I went through those different periods of hitting plateaus and not being able to get leaner or just being like, holy, there's no way I could sustain this. But I didn't give up on being lean. I just was like, you know what? Maybe the strategy I used to get there wasn't that effective. Maybe doing a massive calorie deficit every day, doing tons of cardio, overdoing it didn't make sense. And the correct answer was to be in a smaller deficit, balance the recovery and the training, get a little bit leaner every week while maintaining proper testosterone output by feeling satisfied. And that's the number one thing I'll tell people if you wanna get lean. If you wanna get truly lean and stay lean for life, you have to be able to enjoy every single day to your goal. If you cannot enjoy the process to getting lean, you'll never be able to stay lean. And so all my clients, they enjoy every day. Now, sometimes they might have some cravings and stuff like that, but as a whole, they're like, man, I feel great. I'm fasting. I get to eat a satisfying dinner every day. I'm crushing three workouts a week, maybe even two lifts per week. I'm getting my 12K steps in. This is a lifestyle that falls in the background of my life, and every week I'm looking sharper. And very, very few people in fitness have created a program that you can actually enjoy the journey to your goal physique. Yeah, and dude, it's just, it comes down to having fun. Yeah. Right. Like business, whatever it is, if you're not having fun, it's very tough to just stick through with it. So right. in terms of diet, right? Like what would you say would be like an 80, 20 for someone just starting out? Mm. What, what would you recommend in terms of just them eating to get started, uh, you know, in, in their diet? 
Yeah, well, most people have to get leaner, I'd say, especially if you're talking to people that are like 22 and up. Most people have to get leaner. They're sitting at 16, 17% body fat, if not more. Mm -hmm. um, the people that are very lean that have a trouble gaining weight is more of a very small subset. And I honestly think they're lucky. I'm like, you can literally eat tons of food and that, that's your issue. You can't eat enough food. Yeah. Get some spicy <laughs> rigatoni and call exactly. it a day. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for those people that want to get lean and want to optimize for fat loss, I recommend a few things. One, I recommend doing a fast every day. When you're eating five meals a day, those meals have to be small to stay in a calorie deficit, unless you're lifting or training three hours a day. You're not gonna be able to eat very satisfying meals, okay? Mm -hmm. Especially if you have a big appetite. So I recommend doing a fast every day. We're actually primed to fast. Wake up, drink some water. After about an hour, hour and a half, you can have a cup of black coffee. You can have you know two, three cups of black coffee. You can use my pre-workout Kino Octane, which is amazing for energy, amazing on the fastest state. And then you get this five hour fasting period where you have amazing focus. When you're not eating first thing in the morning, you're not even eating every two to three hours, you actually reach this state where you feel really dialed in. I get my best work done on a fasted state. Digestion and eating can actually um, take away from that state. So, um, so that's the first thing, okay? Um, you know, you trigger that sympathetic nervous system where you're alert, focused, energetic. Contrarily, if you eat a massive meal, you enter the parasympathetic nervous system where you just feel like, relax like if you eat a massive meal you just want to sit down and freaking watch a You're movie sleepy, like and i and i used to do that back when i was i was bulking and trying to gain weight I'd, I'd eat a big meal and then i couldn't work the rest of the day man yeah so i find when you cut strategically you get amazing work productivity so you get a five hour fast i will you know your first meal can be a bit smaller you might have some eggs yep. a little bit of fruit english muffin etc 600 calories or so for the average male and then you'll basically have this big dinner feast with, you know, 14 ounces of lean meat. Potatoes are actually one of the most filling foods in the world. So potatoes are very satiating. If you want to get lean, mm -hmm. um, basing a lot of your carbs off potatoes will keep you more satisfied. So like lean meats, some broccoli, potatoes, it's a big feast, butter. You do not want to shy away. You don't want to cut out carbs or fats. You, you need those both for testosterone um, output. And then, uh, you know, as far as oils and butter, like using butter, coconut oil, olive oil is great. You want to kind of avoid using the seed oils. Yep. Um, and then the last calories, usually the late night snack, I'll have, you know, a Magnum ice cream bar, a chocolate almond bar, cookies, 400 or 500 calories of whatever I want. And I've, every single time I've cut down to my leanest condition, 6%, I literally ate chocolate every single night. Wow. Every night without fail. And What's funny is that when I was like, you know, maybe I'll eat some healthy late night snack. I just still have cravings. And then I would probably a couple times a week, I just end up going over my calories. When I finish with chocolate, I'm satisfied. I'm cooked. That's it. And I am, I have an easy time cutting. hundred percent. It just yeah. comes down to what you're saying. Keep things simple, right? I think that's why yeah. that's what prevents a lot of people from getting started, which is why I asked you like 80, 20, right? Which is mm -hmm. for you, it's just fasting, you know, having those simple meals, and then having that that you know low calorie dessert at the end and, and really just staying consistent with that. Yeah, there's really only two levers you need to worry about in fitness that you need to pull. So the first lever for getting lean is being in a calorie deficit. Now that also means you can't go too extreme in a deficit or you'll lose muscle and you'll set yourself up for binge eating. And you gotta make sure you get enough protein and mm -hmm. eat you know, balanced healthy food. But if you pull that full first lever and you're in a deficit, you're gonna get leaner. Now the second lever is actually strength gain. If you get stronger on your shoulder presses, weighted chin-ups, incline press, Bulgarian split squats, Romanian deadlifts, those are my five key lifts that you that all my clients progress on every month. Incline press, overhead press, weighted chin-up, Bulgarian split squat, Romanian deadlift. 
And so if you get stronger on these different movements and you're in a small calorie deficit, getting enough protein, eating balanced food, fitting a little bit of chocolate, if you do those, you will transform. Um, and so you can lift weights twice a week, but if you get stronger those movements and you're in deficit, you're gonna get harder, you're gonna get, you're gonna slice off fat, you're gonna look more chiseled, look more proportionate. And so most experts in fitness have not identified the levers. They don't know how to actually transform people. Hmm. They go way too complicated. And so I went down to like, you know, one of my influences early on was Bruce Lee, mm -hmm. um, who was actually freaking a genius. Um, he created Jeet Kune Do, and, and he was one of the early people to basically create mixed martial arts because at that time, martial arts were very stylized. You did Wing Chun Kung Fu, or you did boxing, or you did fencing, or you did jiu-jitsu, and it was like, my art is better than your art. It was a, there was an ego, okay? And he was like, I just want to become, he, he was a pragmatist. I want to become the best martial artist ever, which meant learning from boxing learning from fencing, learning from jujitsu, and sort of piecing it together and finding the way to become the best martial artist. Um, and his, one of his big, like his big thesis was like, simplicity is brilliance. Most people in martial arts complicate things. And when it comes down to real life combat, it's the person that has practiced one kick a thousand times, not the person that has practiced a thousand different kicks. It's becoming hyper efficient. And so in fitness, I really got caught up in, in learning all these different things and just kind of realizing that everyone overcomplicates this. To really transform, we got to do these two things. Now, how do we create the deficit? We want to make it as enjoyable as possible because the real problem with fitness is not that people do not know how to get in shape. The real problem with fitness is that people can't stick to it. Okay, yep. That's the, the biggest issue we're facing in fitness is behavioral change. How do you actually get someone to follow a system? And even me, who's passionate about fitness, Give me any workout program, I can do it, okay? Now, I gravitate to training, to lifting two or three days a week because that's where I get my best results. Mm -hmm. But give me any routine, I like working out, I can do it. Um, but give me any diet, I will fail on them all. I failed in every single diet I tried, whether it was eating small meals every few hours, e eating clean, going keto, going low carb, do, even doing the paleo, which is a pretty, pretty, bit more balanced. I failed on it all, or I did the paleo, but because I wasn't that satisfied, I'd end up eating so much extra calories, which I mean, I didn't get lean. So I actually had to create the strategy that allowed me to get lean that I could stick to. And that's yep. it. That's literally it. And so um, that is what I'm solving. I'm showing everyday people how to build movie star worthy body. And I'm solving for staying in a deficit. I'm solving for achieving progressive overload. And I'm solving for actually sticking to it. And that's why we have the best transformations in the world. That's amazing. Again, keep it simple, right? You know yeah. what works, you know what's easy to stick to, and that's that's all you preach. Exactly. The basics. Exactly. And there are little nuanced complications when you're cutting to 8% body fat and you got to take it back off, period, and eat maintenance, then you got to cut again and all this stuff, but like as a whole, like it's actually very very simple. Yeah. Um absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. So, when did you start getting into content for fitness and how did that journey kind of, you know, spread and, and eventually evolve into a business. So my personality is very, very, uh, when I find something I actually dig, when I find something I like, I want to share it. Okay. And I've always kind of been like this, whether it's be with my immediate family, uh, or my friend circle, once I kind of sink my teeth into something like all my boys, we're all doing it. Yeah. Um, and so that's just my personality style. When I find something I, that freaking works that I like, um, whether it's maybe when I was younger, I found this video game I loved. Now, fucking everyone's playing this fucking this game called Fable. <laughs> We're all playing Fable too. Um, but you know, when I find when I started doing fasting, yeah, everyone around me started fasting. 
Um, and so that's my personality style. So how do I take that to another level? I'm like, shit, like I, when I first started fasting, it was, it was not the thing to do. Everyone around you would tell you even like, you know, non-fitness people be like, oh yeah, if you skip a meal, you're going to store fat. Yeah. You skip breakfast, you store fat. You got to eat every few hours to, to stoke your metabolism. That was the big thing when I was yeah. in high school. I remember. Absolutely. And so I was like, how do I hit bigger? And I'm like, well, I got to create a blog and I got to do YouTube. Yep. And it was like, that was, even if there was no money in it, I would do it anyway. I like sharing what I find I love. You know, one of the things I got very, very into when I was 21 that made a big impact in my life was uh, Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. Yep. And specifically listen to his audiobook every day for 20 minutes. And it just rippled across my entire life. I just felt so much more present. Um, I made these really cool realizations that I applied to my fitness, my business, um, to socializing. And I got tons of people to start doing Power of Now and listen to it and, and had a very positive impact on their life. So I just love whatever I find works for me. I want to share it. I can't, if I find something I love, I don't want to hold it back and just keep it to myself. I want yeah. to share. So that's, so that was the, that was the, um, that was, that's what made me behooved to start going on YouTube. That's amazing. So when did, how old were you when you started YouTube? Um, okay. So my first time starting YouTube, I was very young. I think I was like 14 Wow. and I was training and doing fitness and I just wanted to share my progress. My first channel was called GOG9 because that was sort of like my nickname in school was GOG because Grego Gallagher. And then not, that's yeah, a good nickname. It's a good nickname. And nine was like my, my infamous like hockey jersey number. So GOG9 on YouTube. And I started doing these, these progress videos and, and I started to amass a, a decent following at the time. Um, so I started at 14. I didn't maintain my channel. I actually deleted it at one point. Mm -hmm. And then I really kind of kicked it back when I was 19. Well, wow. yeah. So 19, did you go to college? I went to college for one year. Nice. And then dropped yeah. out. I, I actually, to be honest, I did. I, I failed out of college. Not because I, not because I really uh, couldn't handle it. Some of the courses I barely showed up and I did great on the exams. Um, but I just didn't show up at all. Like I barely showed up. I actually kind of purposely went on academic suspension because I wanted, I did not want any pressure to, to go back to second year. And so by getting on academic suspension, there was no way I would, uh, I, did, I, I would be able to have that year to work on my business. So that's what you did. You basically, you know, went on academic suspension and then yeah. went all in. I went all in. And then, you know, it took me probably a few years to really prove what I was doing. Um, but yeah, I, I did one year of school. So tell me what's going through your mind in terms of making the big decision to drop out of, out of college one year in, right? What, what was going through your mind? What did you do? I'm sure, you know, you were, you were nervous with the risk. Yes. Yeah, so it was very, very simple. I was really ambivalent about doing university in the first place. I was kind of like, I don't think I should do it. But the reason I actually went in initially was because like, I kind of got swept up in the, in the, the FOMO of it. Everyone's going to college. And I'm like, you know what? It could be a good social experience, but I don't know if I'm going to follow through. And, uh, in school, it was very evident to me that this was not the path to become very, very, very successful. I was not trying to just fit in with the pack. I was trying to build my own life, create my own reality. And university was not it. Um, sure. You know, you graduate a business degree, you could potentially do more schooling, you get some job and you could work up the corporate ladder that did not compel me in the least. So I knew to create the life I wanted, I had to kind of build my own business and university was sure, maybe I could do four years and learn some stuff, but absolutely that would slow me down. There was a better, faster, more efficient uh, education to be had outside of school. And so the thing to understand was that I was extremely self-motivated. Um, I had a very strong 
value in fitness. I had an absolute strong value, expertise, and willingness to learn and master fitness. And so when those two things come together, you have a super high value in something that people want. Everyone wants to be in shape. Plus you have very, very strong, you're very self-motivated, you're very incentive-driven, um, and you like to take risk. When those different variables meet, it sets the stage for a lot of success outside of the school system. So if someone uh, did not want to go to school, but they did not, they were not self-motivated. They didn't have a, a high value and a very helpful skill. Then it's like, okay, it's going to be a different, tougher, longer, more uncertain road. Yeah. But when you have a, just an absolute high value in a very good skill and you're self-motivated and you want to do what it takes, school is, a, it slows you down. It, it absolutely, it's a slowdown, you know, it's, and again, I know this because people that are very, very smart that have that similar mindset that went to school, that did school, it took them an extra four years to get to the certain level um, that I got to. 100%. I tell my parents all the time, I'm like, man, because they didn't let me drop out. You know, yeah. I, I had the traditional Asian parents. I try to drop yeah. out and they're like, we'll yeah, kill you. Yeah, it's a you. different, yeah, not, yeah, not no, literally, yeah. but like it's they a, would. So yeah, it's a different, different game. And you know, uh, yeah. So if your parents are very, very intense, um, it's a different game. I, uh, I, it was just, you know, I had a single mom family and my older brother definitely tried to step in and really kind of push me to kind of finish school. And, and, you know, my, you know, mom was really, really trying to push me to, to finish school. And I was like, guys, I would love to go to school, but I'm on academic suspension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can't, they, no, I would love I'm banned. to, I'm banned from campus. You, you, you know? know what, you know what though? Like, I know I, I will say everyone was telling me you are making a colossal mistake. Yep. But again, like with the mentality was kind of like that it was their job to really try as hard to steer me in that direction as possible. But in the end, it's my life. And I always, and I always look, I lost my father when I was 11. Right. And one of the things you learn when you lose someone very significant at a young age, you learn, you learn that life is very, very short and you do not know how short it is. It could end any freaking moment. And one of the lessons that I learned, from that, you know, experience, um, from that loss, was that this is my fucking life, and it is not my parents' life. It's not my brother's life. It's not my peers' life. It's not my school teacher's life. This is my life, and I'm going to live it the way I want to. And if I choose not to go to school, that's my decision. Okay, it's not your decision. These are my years. These are my days. I will choose to do whatever, frankly, the fuck I want. And that was sort of my frame. And there was no way in hell you're going to convince me to go to spend three years in school. It's not going to happen. Now, uh, if you want to like, if, 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 uh, you know, you wanted to kick me out of the house, all, all that totally fine. Point is, is that this is my life. And, uh, you know, I have, there's five kids. So I was the one of five that didn't, uh, finish university. Um, but you know what, like I ended up building my passion and, uh, and I, that was one of the best decisions I ever made was to, to not go back to school. That's amazing. And I think for you, you were willing to own the consequence, like whatever happened, whether or not you're going to be successful or not, you were willing to take that risk. And I think that's so, so important for anyone, even just listening to this, right? Because, you know, people, they want the success, but then they, they're not willing to embrace the risk and potential, you know, loss that can and, come with and, it. And, and you know what's funny though is that like it, uh, it, it. There was delusion there at a young age when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20. There was delusion because I didn't see any risk. I didn't like. I was like, this is gonna work out. There was no self doubt in my mind about it. Now, my aspiration was not to, you know, build a, 
eight figure company. Um, my aspiration was like, yeah, let's, let's hit six figures doing what I love and helping people and being able to live wherever I want, not have a boss and live life on my terms and have, have freedom. Um, and that was sort of, that was sort of the frame in which I wanted to achieve my success. And there was not a doubt in my mind that I couldn't do it. I knew I could. And so it's funny is that a lot of times success happens to those that have a, a an element of delusion. Um, they just have that absolute certainty because that with that certainty comes a very powerful, productive mindset. And, you know, it might not like looking back, I'm like, damn, like, bro, like, what was I smoking? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was I smoking? But like, at, at that time, that mindset served me. And I think that there's two lessons to be had right now is that one, everyone has to live life for themselves. You need to choose the life path that you want and you need to honor it. Most people are living up to other people's values, whether it be their parents, their friends, what they see on social media. The most important thing you do is identify what actually might, makes life worth living for you. What is the life that you wanna create, okay? And that might require you to take a few days, a little trip to yourself, a weekend trip to have time on yourself. But the most important thing we do is we identify, right? We identify what are those highest values, what is the life we wanna uh, live for us, and then we don't let those people around us steer us off path. Um, and if you can do that, you're going to have a much happier life. And I, I think one of the things that helped me do that was, yes, when I had a very huge loss, it just made me realize that life is very short. And then, uh, and the second thing is you have to build that absolute confidence in yourself and that absolute, um, almost a little bit of delusion. But, but my confidence was very, very built off of data where I was like, Hey, we launched this YouTube channel. We launched this blog. We got some visitors, okay, but this week we're growing, this week we're growing. If we continue, things are looking very good. So I saw like the progress and sure, maybe at the very beginning I was making a couple hundred bucks a month, but I was like, great, let's get to 500, let's get to that. So as long as there's an improvement, right? As long as there's some uh, trajectory of improvement, then you're winning. And this is what I tell my clients, even clients that have 100 pounds of fat to lose. Lose the first five pounds. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a pat on the back. You're winning. You're winning. Don't get discouraged because of how far you have to go. And during my entire journey, I loved every moment from making a couple hundred bucks a month, making a couple thousand, and then, you know, making, making uh, you know, a little bit more than that. Um, and I loved it all. And, you know, looking back, if the goal is to make 10 million bucks a year, whatever, looking back, you're going to kind of be like, fuck, man, like I got new problems now. I got new stresses. I got X, Y, and Z. Damn. When I was making like 10 K a month, that was so chill. That, so you're always going to look back and kind of, kind of like remember these different moments and actually really appreciate them. And so it's important that as you climb up the ladder, you enjoy that process and, and you, uh, you take the glass half full, not be like, oh man, like I'm still only here. I want to get here. Most of stress, and this is what Eckhart Tolle says, stress is being here, but wanting to be in this distant moment, okay? You're making, maybe you're making 2K a month, oh, I really wanna to get to 10. And that gap is where the stress is. But if you accept the present moment, take action the present moment, have the vision for where you wanna be, but stay immersed in this moment, most of stress, 80, 90% of stress dissolves. And you just gotta have steps you need to take and you can honor the moment. That's actually what helped me transform my body was, I was very good at putting on strength and muscle, but I was had a very hard time staying on a diet, staying in a deficit. I'd always be like, man, I'm 16, 15% body fat, 14. I wanna get to eight. I had this huge pressure to be single digit body fat. And I would be like counting down the days. I'm not there yet. Look in the mirror, I'd be frustrated. Oh. And then once I kind of learned to just accept where I am right now, accept the journey, 
get a little bit leaner each week and take that pressure and stress off, then I was actually able to cut the ties that were holding me back and actually, you know, get to 8% body fat and stay there. 100%. And it, it's so interesting you bring that up because like even for me thinking back in the early days of business, some of my best days were when I was living at home and making you know, very little money in the business. And I was just trading for two hours, two hours a day, mm. starting the business, but it was just, it was fun, right? You don't have people think like, oh, as you, as you grow up, like things get better. And you know, some things do, right? Money mm. does solve for a lot of different things, but money also comes with its new set of problems. When you have more employees, there's a new set of problems, right? And so- Yeah, I think there's a link between how much money you can make and how much stress you can tolerate. Correct. Right? There's, a, there's a link there. And and you know, it's one of the downsides when you're not making that much money is that you have to do more work. It's harder to delegate because you don't have, you have less money to to deploy. Yep. Um, but it's also like there's also a bit of less stress and, and, and less pressure. And then you know, as you get a lot more and more money, you have more things weighing on you, but you can delegate a little bit more and use your time a bit more strategically. But yeah, it's a different animal. Yep. And you know, you know what I also realized too, just even from listening to your story. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that the commonality between successful people and especially people who are successful at an early age, you know, 18, 19, you know, early twenties, they were able to figure out what their passion was or what they enjoyed doing and then go all in. Right. And so for mm -hmm. you, that was fitness, but I, I saw a lot of people, even myself in college, mm -hmm. most people don't know what they want to do, right? They're just following other people in terms of, Hey, this person got an internship here. This is what's con considered, you know, prestigious. So let me also go into tech or go, go onto Wall Street or finance or consulting. Yet, mm. really, people don't spend enough time in their early years figuring out what they enjoy, what they're good at, that intersection, so that they can go all in. Thousand percent, you know, and it and for some people it's very easy to identify what that passion is. And for some people, it's not as clear cut and it takes a little bit of time. And you know, I think an easy, easier way to really identify that passion is really look at where do you spend your time? What are your highest values? What are the things you care about? What do you spend your money on? What do you, what do you spend time researching? And it might not be the easiest sort of job offer business to uncover, but eventually you can. And, and if you can put your time, energy, and resources into the things that you value the most, that's where you're gonna perform at the highest level. And this is kind of what, you know, uh, John Demartini is a really valuable coach. He, he talks about is really identifying these highest values and delegating uh, low value uh, things. And that's when you can kind of really perform at your highest level. Yep. So how would you, uh, you know, obviously for you, for you, it was, you know, delusional optimism, right? Mm -hmm. But I think for a lot of people, you know, who, who may not have that, that confidence or, or optimism, right? They're thinking about, things in a very negative light. Like, hey, if I, if I do this and it doesn't work out, like I'm gonna be behind my peers, mm -hmm. right? How would you, what's your best advice for someone who's scared of taking that risk? Don't take it. <laughs> Don't take it, man. Like, look, it's your life. If, if you're scared of taking that risk, you know, then don't take it. I mean, look, I, I thought of a few different things, you know, like I, I didn't, to me, like the risk wasn't that high. I mean, um, so, you know, funny enough, Jim Carrey had a very powerful story about his father who had a very, a very strong passion, aspiration, um, but it was like the riskier thing to do. And he pursued being an accountant. And after many, many years, um, he was fired and his family suffered. And sort of Jim Carrey's lesson out of that was that you can fail at doing the easy, the, the, the safe path. 
So you might as well go for what you really want anyway. And so if you're scared of taking that bigger step, um, then, you know, understand that you can fail at doing the safe path anyway. Um, but, you know, like a few things that I was kind of realizing was like, yes, I have to do what I love the most. This is very, very important for me. Um, and secondly, I'm willing to put in the work. Um, thirdly, which is bigger, a bigger issue now more than ever is that I didn't mind if it took time to get to where I wanted to be. Like I was down for the process. I, I love what I was doing. So I didn't have to make 10 K a month in three or four months. If it took me a couple years to get there, so be it. It took me, it probably took me actually four years to get there. So be it. Um, and so a lot of people want results way too fast. And then, you know, fourth, you might have to take a sacrifice where if you have a, high, a good paying job and you want to start this business, well, you might not be able to be going out for fancy dinners and going having drinks and doing these traveling. So there's a cost to taking that risk. And so if you don't want to take that uh, cost, that's your decision to make. There's nothing wrong with that. If, if you choose, that's the right decision for you. Go for it. But if you want to take the risk, you got to take the pay the price that comes with it. Yeah. And, and social media has really messed up delayed gratification, right? Because mm -hmm. I think people scrolling on social media, seeing their friends do this, seeing this person do this, who's their age, everyone wants something now, right? They want to make this much now. They want to be traveling this now. They they wish they were married or, or found their significant other now. But now everyone goes at their own speed, right? And I think people need to understand that, like everyone had their own different opportunities in life. People may have found a passion earlier. People may have taken a risk earlier, but just knowing that you can go at your own pace and trust the process, right? Like what you said, be consistent, trust the process, be be willing to know what you want and, and go after it and go all in. That's what's really going to allow you to become successful. Not this, you know, let's get rich quick. Let's let's do this now. So yeah, and this mindset is a lot harder to build um, today now than ever before because most people wake up, they check social media many times, like every. 20 minutes, they're scrolling through TikTok and Instagram, and they're sort of retraining their dopamine system. And it's much, much harder to put in focused, high level work for a longer period of time. You want that quick beat. Yep. And so actually that's one of the reasons why I will do like that meditation every morning. It kind of gets me in a more grounded, centered place and a, a better place to take high level action. Um, but yeah, these days it's, it's, it's an uphill battle. With the lifestyle that we have, it's an uphill battle to really have that mindset to become successful. Yep. So I want to learn more about, you know, the business, right? So you dropped out now, now you're going all in on business. What was that like in the early days to how it basically came to be today? You know, this, this fitness empire you've been able to build, what was your offer in the early days? What were you charging? You know, how much were you making? Yeah. So my first like fitness offers were $47. Um, I had like a warrior shred, Greek God, aggressive fat loss. And I basically built a quiz. Um, because everyone asked me what program to do. And I built a quiz basically identifying what program they should do. And I do like a six minute video talking about their state. Oh, you're skinny fat. This is why you're skinny fat. This is why you struggle to transform. And here's what you must do. And the best program of mine to follow is actually going to be, um, the warrior shred. And here's why. And so I, I built this little funnel, um, and it did very, very well. I started doing more YouTube content we started getting, you know, you started doing like a few thousand bucks a day. This is years and years ago on this on this offer and i had a small intimate team i did a little bit of filming i you know filmed some videos in my backyard on my iphone um and it was very chill it was very very chill and it got to the point where i just like i was like making way more money than i even planned on making and i was kind of like 
like it was, I was in loving it and I was getting amazing transformations. Um, and you know, then we started to do like this big Bruce Wayne video that went viral, started spending money on ad traffic and things got pretty out of control. Uh, things grew really, really fast. Um, now it's a lot more like, you know, I, I, the, the supplement business has grown a lot. Like the Mojo brand has been insane. So I got the supplement business. I have a coaching company and there's a lot more things going on. And, uh, but again, I've identified like sort of what I like to do, which is like sort of the coaching, um, the content, and I try and put most of my energy there. Got it. So you like to be more, you know, either working on the product or helping out clients or, or making the content, but not necessarily running the day to day. I business. do not like to run the day to day. I do not like to manage people in the least. Um, I, I like to do the marketing stuff, the marketing, the content, the coaching. Um, but I, yeah, I don't like really having people like check in, like having to check in on people. It's not yeah. my thing. Yeah. So I guess how, how did that happen in the early days? Right. Cause I think, you know, obviously when you start, I'm sure you're just learning business skills, right. Doing this, doing everything essentially. When did you kind of make that transition? Like, like you said, you had two different points or, or maybe a few different points where your business really took off. Mm -hmm. What were the key milestones or, or things that happened that allowed that, that take off? It's really, it's also not too dissimilar from really solving fitness, but it's really identifying um, what is that really juicy offer that people want? Um, what does that funnel look like? And then, you know, really how do we get people to that funnel? And, you know, identified that physique quiz, which did incredible for us for a very long time. And the programs got such amazing results. And we had Facebook groups, people posting transformations every day. I was, I'm still to this day blown away at just the results we get. The results we get are just nuts. Before and afters, like it is just amazing to see. Um, now there's some, obviously the program is very, very effective. Yeah. Um, and it gets those results, but there's some magic to it where people read my programs and they just, they want to follow it. They, they, they put in a hundred percent. Um, so there was that. And then, yeah, just basically getting people to the offer and creating value. Like my, my big focus, um, with building my business was how do I give value? So I do tons of content on YouTube, teaching different things, giving people workouts, how this actor got in shape, X, Y, and Z intermittent fasting. I just put out so much value and I said, Hey, if you want to learn more, if you want to find my best program for you, go here. And so when you, life is very reciprocal. And so when you start giving and creating lots of value, um, people want to give back or they're going to want to join. Whereas if you just do a pitch fest, they're kind of like, they're going to, you know, be uh, disinterested. Yep. So do you have a business partner? Like, you know, who hired all the early employees? When did you start basically, you know, training new managers or, or heck, yeah. bringing in new managers? So it, things have changed a little bit over the years. I mean, initially I kind of built most of um, the initial business with uh, two guys, uh, Tom and Darren. Tom helped with like the marketing on the back end. Darren helped with more of the... Uh, more software stuff and, and, uh, and they were, you know, fairly incentivized. So I didn't have to like, they just kind of did their thing and we just kind of checked in every day. Um, and then, you know, we kind of built a, a bigger, larger company, more team, more people. Um, and that was when I took on some business partners and then, um, right around 2020, I bought them out and then I kind of leaned up the business and, uh, we had like some really, really good years. Um, and now, I mean, I just kind of, I have a partner on my coaching offer and then on the main business, you know, I own it hundred percent and, uh, you know, I have a, a team and, and some different leaders in place, but, um, it's happened very like organically, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's just the standard life cycle in business, right? Everyone thinks it's, you know, yeah. just a straight line up and I'm sure there's ups, there's downs. Yeah. You've had to figure out, you know, what your strengths were, figure out investors or, or partners, like what you said on certain areas. 
Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely some definitely some ups and downs, and, uh, and especially when you're in the game of spending like a bunch of money on on paid traffic, and you know things can change there, and so there's definitely ups and downs. Yeah. So do you have? So you said you have a partner on the coaching offer. Yeah. But you own Mojo, your supplement side. Yeah. fully yeah do you have someone who's like an operator there who runs yeah. that business yeah i have like an op- uh, operation guy and you know a few different people that kind of work on uh the operations of that yeah nice so what's uh give me like a, a day in the life or, or a week in the life for you because obviously you have business you're training as well you're making content obviously i'm sure you enjoy your life as well going back and forth between miami and toronto yeah, you know what my my day in the life is not it's not that much work actually. If I'm being dead honest, like I know what it's like to work freaking hard, um, and I'd say that my life for the most part is pretty chill. I I uh, part of it is I I keep my you know I maintain my resume I maintain my mind sharp. If I'm gonna be doing content, I have to like really be at a high level myself. But um, I, I I'm on a you know you know two or three hours of calls every day, um, whether it's you know calls with my team. Uh, whether I'm doing like a coaching call, um, and then you know I do a little bit of filming, but but not not every day. So maybe like once a week, and I kind of check in on a different different people running different things, um, and it's it's not that much. Now when I'm building a new offer, building a new product, I go into like overdrive um, for a period of time. But uh, once that's over, you know, then uh, so like you know these last few weeks I've been working on something, so I've been working very very hard, but. But I'd say like 80% of the time, I'm just like, it's pretty chill. Nice. So yeah, I don't, I really don't work that hard. Yeah. You know, um, I am, but I also work every single day. There's not a day I take off, but it, you know, it might just be a few hours. Um, so I, 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 I think I'm, I'm working like probably 30, you know, I'm working 30% out of my max right now. Yeah. It's not, it's not yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's, and I think once you get to this level where you, you know, you have a lot of team, team members and employees and you can delegate, right? It's really just you focusing on the key things that are gonna drive that that needle mover, which at this point, it's really just strategy, vision, and, and content, I feel like. Yeah, and I, I solve for like, you know, yes, I wanna grow my business, yes, I wanna, you know, make more money, and yes, I wanna change more lives, but I also like, I value my freedom. Um, so if I wanna work 10 hours a day, I'll do it, but I don't want that to be the, I don't want that to be the default. So I kind of solve for like really having freedom, delegating a lot of my time, um, and then I'll work as much as I, as, as I really want to, need to. And then, you know, I think a lot of people say, you know, I work, oh, I work 10 hours a day. Bitch, I've seen you. You work three hours and you freaking jerk off for seven hours. Like, I, like people, most people are full of shit. And that's what yeah. I've learned. Um, like, so I, I, when I say, like, I, I, I don't work that hard, like, I could say I work nine hours a day, but I, I feel like I'm freaking lying. Like, yeah. I, like, a real actual work, I don't, you know, it's not that insane except for periods of time. Yeah. Um, and I remember like probably when I got my company back um, and I bought out my partners, I worked like a freaking animal, like a machine for months and months and months and months and months. And I also kind of burnt out a little bit. Um, but for, you know, probably over a year, it was just nuts. And I haven't gone that insane for a while. I'd say September, October, November, you know, I, I went pretty damn hard, but like I try and find that balance. Um, and, you know, again, if you work out, if you work too crazy hard, then maybe your your mindset, your fitness, certain things can take a little bit of a, a back seat. Um, and then you get a little bit too stressed and then sleep goes down and then, and then there's a cascading effect. So um, I just try and kind of maintain a bit of that balance. Yep.
Yep. And so for you, like how many employees do you have right now on your coaching offer versus your, your supplement offer? Yeah, we have like uh, six fitness coaches. Um, and then we have a few behind the scenes people. Um, and then we have like a, a team of like 10 people, um, consultants doing sales and setting. Yep. Um, and then on the, and then we have like a, a few guys running ads for that advertising for that offer. Um, and then on the business, I have like, you know, five, six guys on the main team. Uh, then we have like customer service team of like five people. And then we have, um, you know, different agencies that we're working with right now, different, a uh, few different film guys I use, a uh, bunch of editors. So honestly, like, like 25, 25. 20, 25 people, but not everyone's like, you know, full-time employee. Yep. Right. Yep. So it's, it's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it, like the pure team is pretty small, but it kind of just broadens up a little bit. But like, yeah. honestly, I, I don't even know, dude. Yeah. I don't even freaking know. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't, the like, operators. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's decent. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I look at the PLs and I'm like, okay, we're definitely spending money. But yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, yeah. We got, we got some people. Yeah. So what's, what's kind of your plan business wise? Let's say, five years from now? Do you want to, you know, have your team keep growing? Is there, is there a balance where it's like, Hey, this is good enough because if I push more, it's going to affect my lifestyle and freedom now, you know, wh where are your thoughts there? Well, you know what? I, I am a very much a have your cake, eat it too kind of guy. So I think there's a way to do both if you're very, very intelligent. Um, so I'm not like downplaying my goals because of, I want to not have to go hard in 11, 12 hours a day. Um, I know there's a strategy to kind of do both within reason. Um, but my goal is I, I really like the business the way it is right now. I really, really do. I don't think there's a massive change that needs to happen if we want to, you know, four or five X our sales. Like, yes, the coaching business, we're going to have to definitely ramp up, um, in proportion, yeah. uh, the team, but, um, with the supplement business, it's just like, do you know, this, this mojo, uh, offers crushing it. I think by the time this, you know, this is live, um, I will have my Mojo Mastery offer, which is like my two supplements, um, Mojo Nitro, as well as like a 30 day plan to help and get, build a stronger, harder, leaner physique and support higher levels of free testosterone. So, I mean, this offer is ramping up, but yeah, the next four years, just, just build the coaching offer, build the supplement brand, change more lives, do more awesome content. And, uh, you know, and have fun with it. There's nothing like crazy that I think will change. Yes, I'll probably set up more of like a, a home base, a compound in uh, Miami. Um, right now, I've kind of been all over the place, Toronto, Florida, Vancouver, kind of just everywhere, Mexico. So like, I'm gonna set up more of a compound and, and produce more content there, but not too much is gonna change actually. Yep, got it. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like you have things pretty dialed in, right? You know, wealth, fitness, um, let's talk about like relationships. Sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. What's, uh, you know, I'm sure it's, and it's, I'm sure it's, it's changed over, over the years for you, but kind of how was your dating throughout, you know, all of this, uh, essentially like, how are you to balance, how are you able to balance data dating yet start a business? Yeah. So I'd, I would say that, you know, I started this stuff like 18 was kind of an initial year. And then 19, I really started like going hard. Yeah. Um, and like 19, 20, and a little bit of 21, I did not talk to girls, man. Like I barely talked to girls. Um, I was kind of working from home, doing my thing, and I didn't socialize much. Um, and I think that was like 
fairly helpful. I think that really was very, very helpful, at least getting to a decent place. So I had like 19, 20, and a little bit of 21 to kind of build some momentum. Um, but yeah, I did not, like, I didn't do shit, like 19 and 20. Like, I did not go on dates, did not really hook up. Maybe there was a couple of different girls that I saw, but like, it was not a, it was a, such a tiny part of my life. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of by decision and by design. At 21, you know, at 21, I'm like, dude, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm building the body of a Greek god. You know, I'm promoting this idea of building this movie star life, building a Greek god, but I'm not even like, I'm not even doing anything. And so I was like, you know what? I was like, hey, so I was like, then I started to find that balance. Um, and my thing at 21 was I would, I would not drink that much. I would drive, I would maybe have two or three drinks and just stay under the, under the limit. And I would just, you know, go out to some different venues, meet chicks. I think, I think Tinder came out when I was 21 and that was like, dude, that was freaking nuts. Like if you do my program and you get one shirtless photo and you put that as your, as your main profile pick, like shirt effortless at a pool, bathing suit, looking away, effortlessly ripped. It is like, it is cheating. It is not even fair. Like I just remember when I was 21, I went out a little bit, but like, dude, I had Tinder and like, like I would, I would go out on some, you know, meet up with chicks a couple times a week. And, uh, and then I was very wholesome. Like I was never really about like hooking up with tons of girls. I'll get to a story about a, a follower of mine very soon. But, um, so I would just end up kind of like, I found the best way to meet a quality girl is to enter a state of abundance, meet different women, go on different dates, you know, maybe hook up. And then at, in a state of abundance, you're gonna identify like the person you really connect with and vibe with, and then you can kind of uh, hone in on like kind of be with her. And so that's kind of what I did when I was 21. I, I kind of ended up meeting a bunch of different women, um, had fun, went out, and uh, and I just maintained, I just made sure not to drink that much because there's a massive, and this is what I saw when I was very young. I was 21, and what I saw was that all my friends, all my peers, we're going out to the bar, spending you know 80 bucks, maybe more, 100 bucks, spending money on cabs, and that is a cost when you're when you're starting to make money. That is a massive cost if you're spending you know, and that's that's two nights. They're spending 200 dollars, 800 bucks, 800 bucks a month, 600, 800 bucks a month. That's and the, the but the bigger cost is being hungover and losing that momentum and having that sort of that that downward spiral because um, being hungover on a Saturday and then you're hungover on a Sunday and then you're not really back to efficiency until like Tuesday or Wednesday. And so I just maybe had two or three drinks and, uh, you know, and then I ended up meeting a girl like I really, uh, at the time that, you know, dated for a year, really fell in love with. But, um, uh, so that was sort of my kind of dating strategy was I would kind of go out, you know, use maybe an app. And I, the app was important for me because I didn't freaking leave my house. I barely left my house. I didn't, I, I'm all my friends were at school, had a couple different friends. Um, but like, I just stayed in. I worked on my business alone, so I wasn't meeting anyone. Um, and uh, and so and then I, you know, dated. So that was kind of what my dating life looked um, early on. I think when I was 24, 25, I got a little bit carried away, um, drinking too much, and you know, it definitely is not. Hey, it happens to the best. It of us, happens man. to the happens best of us. To the best of us. It is, you know, it's the funny thing I'll say about that is that it's it's easy to get influenced. Um, but you have to create your own reality. So it took me kind of years to see the writing on the wall. I was like, why was I going? Like it, there were little moments that was fun, but overall it was like, you can create the coolest life you want. Is the coolest life for me to go uh, drinking at clubs three nights three nights in a row? Like absolutely not. Um, and uh, so I, I definitely got carried away, but then I, I, I freaking, uh, 
I cut that down, you know, more to moderation. And uh, look, look, I love having like a nice Cadillac Mark, two or three drinks. That's my thing. Go out for dinner, have two or three cocktails, uh, maybe with a beautiful girl. And but like going out to clubs, uh, I don't like it as much once in a while. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's that was the big thing. Why I stopped drinking like a year and a half ago is yeah. same thing. Right. I think if you own your own business or you're, you're big on productivity or, or, or your health or, or mental clarity, it's the hangovers were just getting me like it. And it's the thing for me is like I wanted just just to cut down to just a few drinks, but I could still feel brain frog. Yeah. Brain fog on just a few drinks. So I was like, okay, I, I need to. Yeah. And you, 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 uh, you don't get that sharpness, that same drive, that same ambition. I really think that one of the things that helped me start from scratch and really take that risk was I didn't drink really at all. Like that gave me that initial momentum. And then, and then I still like, once I got that momentum, I had maybe a few drinks a couple times a week, you know, two, three drinks, two, three times a week. And I found that was okay. Um, but then, you know, then things slowed down. I started drinking too much and I, I lost that productivity, I lost that edge. And then, and then now I try and find that balance. But even when you're having a few drinks many times a week, you, you kind of lose that dopamine sensitivity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you drink too off too much, too often, I think a lot of depression, um, would go away if people cut out weed and, and cut alcohol down to a minimum. Yep. Um, because you know, those are depressants like nothing else. Yep. And I want to go back to what you're talking about in terms of dating in the early days. And I see this so much, which is if you're a male, like if you're a male trying to figure out dating, getting to that state of abundance first before you decide who you want to date is so important. Mm -hmm. And it's just painful because to get to a state of abundance, you have to be that, you know, that male that attracts women. Right. You have to figure that out. And if you don't do it, I see so many men mess up their lives because they just settle on the first girl that likes them back. That's why like every girl I date is like not only really beautiful, but really, really sweet from the inside out. I, I, I you know, I put myself in a position of abundance and then I'm, I'm very, very, very selective and picky as far as having like a, a partner, like a girlfriend, um, very, very selective and, and picky. Um, but you know, it's funny when I had that, for that one of my first girlfriends, um, and I was in that position of abundance and all that stuff. I had to like text like six different girls. I'm like, hey, like, sorry, we can't hang out anymore. Can't hang them over. Can't. She was so impressed when she saw all those texts. She was like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you know, if you if you're in a position of scarcity, then you're also not going to have the strongest relationship because if because you're gonna you know it's, you're more likely to simp. Um, and if you can put yourself in a position of power, you're way more attractive. Uh, like a position of abundance, you're way more attractive and then you can make the best possible decision. You'll always make your best possible uh, uh, decision when you're in a state of abundance. 100%. You know? Yeah. And like, and I see this in terms of scarcity, right? It's not even just for, for dating for men who, who simp. It's, it's now you're bending your own values, right? Mm -hmm. You tolerate, you know, your girl misbehaving or doing things that wouldn't be acceptable if you were to do it, but now you have to, right? Because she has leverage on you. And so I think that's so important in terms of like, building your own abundance. And, and and you know what's funny is that like women respond to men that have abundance. Like the, if, if you just put in, in the very initial phase, if you just put all your energy on one beautiful girl, okay? And in the very, very beginning, um, like you get punished for it, you know? You do. Every, every guy knows it when they just get, they, they, they just want this one and they put all their eggs in one basket and you're 
kind of in that sort of position of scarcity where you, you have, this has to work out, then the the dynamic is different, and you know they become a bit more aloof. Um, whereas, and I tell I tell people that hit me up sometimes I'll, I'll answer dating questions for fun. People hit me up. I'm like, bro, like you gotta you gotta act like you already have five uh, Victoria's Secret models. Your yep. date, you got five girls. Like if when you act from a position of abundance, it like almost corrects everything. And then women naturally, one of the main attraction triggers for females is pre-selection. Are you pre-selected? This is probably one of the reasons why um, that comedian uh, Davis. Who's that comedian? Pete, Pete Davidson. Pete, Pete Davidson, right? Yeah. Pete, sorry, Pete. For, for guy, yeah. guy pulls, man. Yeah. Guy pulls. But that that part of that attraction now that women who would not would not have even been into him in the first place, that's is that pre-selection. So when you are in a position where you are pre-selected, you do have abundance. Um, you're way, you know, you're way better. Um, and a lot of things can affect your mindset. So like. You know, to be confident, it helps to have like real world world data to become confident. If you have not been on a date in six months and you go on your first date with a beautiful girl, you're not going to be as good as if, you know, you went, you've gone on five dates with beautiful women in the last month. Yeah. Um, and so everything like confidence is often like it's a byproduct of, of competence and a byproduct of like actually real world, world data. So you always want to put yourself um, in a position of abundance. And if if a guy goes through a breakup, and I get these questions a lot, oh, I got, I got broken up with, I'm crushed. Well, I kind of tell them like, here's a few things to do, okay? Like if the girl broke up with you, she does not want to be with you anymore, then one, you need to cut off attention, okay? You got to withdraw your attention because as long as you're giving her attention when she doesn't want you, your value drops in the chance of ever getting back with her if that's when you want. Maybe you don't want to, doesn't matter but your value is dropping like a sack of potatoes. So one, you have to withdraw attention. Secondly, you have to get obsessed with leveling up, obsessed with getting stronger, getting leaner, looking better, obsessed with improving yourself socially, improving yourself from a professional standpoint with your business, your career. Get obsessed, dressing better, um, improving your offer. And then, you know, if you do those two things, uh, it is very, 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 powerful. Um, if you can do those two things, like you, it, it, it's night and day. And a lot of times that girl that broke up with you will start, you know, she'll start like hitting you up. Um, when you withdraw attention and improve your offer and work on yourself, um, it's very, very powerful. I think I had a third point, but I, but I, I might've lost it. Like what I might've lost my third point there. It will come back to me. It'll though. come back. It'll, It'll come, come back. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the, yeah. Uh, and, and on the topics of, of breakups, I feel like breakups are. Oh yes, right, right, right. Okay, thank you. Okay, gotcha. so the third thing is that okay, is that you will still feel pain if you lost your girl, if your highest sight is on her. But most men, they're dating, but they haven't maxed out their value. They're dating and they're still like, oh, I don't have the body I want. It's still not where I want to go. And so their ability to attract a mate is not at the highest level. And so if you can set your sights on, like, okay, like if you can set your sets on, well, you know what? Let's say there's no chance of failure. Let's say I can date whoever I want. Let's say I can date Victoria's Secret Mall. Set your sights higher, and then the girl that broke up with you is kind of like second place. And so that's what I recommend doing. Withdraw attention, trans, uh, uh, become obsessed with self-improvement. I mean, learn from the relationship. Definitely like audit it, learn ways, you know, you can do things better. And But then thirdly, really like, Okay, no chance of failure. Who would you want to date? Set your sights higher. And I've always found like that when you can just most people. And this is the quote that I have on my um, on my shoulder, which is more related to business and stuff. But like most people don't set big goals. They kind of they play things safe. On my shoulder, it says "Make no small plans." It's my one of my father's favorite quotes. It really meant that small goals do not have the power to stir a man's 
blood. And so in business and life and fitness, you want to set big goals. If you're going to get married, if you choose to get married, you're going to get married, you better feel like, damn, I'm marrying the most beautiful girl in the world inside and out. And so most guys settle. And that is something that is just, I'm not okay with. I will never settle. Um, whether it be for my business goals, my fitness, my health, uh, whether it be for the person that I choose to be with. Yeah. And men are made to conquer, right? If you go back even to the early days in time, men are made to conquer, right? They're meant to lead. They're meant to go hunt. It's, it's in our blood. And I think when you don't push yourself to the limits that you have the potential to get to, you're holding, you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm -hmm. And going back to the topic of, of breakups, like what you mentioned as well, I feel like breakups are some of the best thing that can happen to a man, especially in the early days, right? Whether that's in high school or that's in college, post-college, you name it. Breakups really define, I believe, someone because you don't get that level of, of energy and motivation and desire that you can just create out of thin air, especially if someone breaks up with you and you feel like you lost someone. And it, it, might, it might be painful. And this is where it's important you have a strong mental frame um, because there's two ways you can handle a breakup. Yes, you're going to have a ton of pain. You're going to have hurt. You're going to have this excess buildup of energy. Um, and some guys just end up like stalking their ex's stories and, and sending messages and doing all this bullshit. Like I said earlier, withdraw attention and then get focused and obsessed with self-improvement. Put that excess attention into improving yourself. Um, but yes, every time I've, you know, most, a lot of the, a lot of the people have even joined my program was after a breakup and they had incredible transformations. Like when you get broken up with, there's this thing that happens. Some men, a lot of men in relationships, they become comfortable. Okay. They have, they have the, their girlfriend. The girl they wanted. They have right. the girl they want. So they're like, okay, why well, do I have to work as hard? I already have her. When you're broken up with, there's this strong incentive to improve yourself so you can get back out on the field and attract a equal or higher mate. Um, and so that incentive is what drives us. We were, you know, human beings, we respond to incentives. And so that can be a strong incentive. Um, and, you know, whenever I had like a big breakup, I took that pain and uh, that excess energy and I just end up skyrocketing my business every single time. Dude, me too. Yeah. Every single time I've, I've had a breakup, it's health or or money wise i think i've i've skyrocketed so 1000% okay and if you if you do everything i'm saying okay if you do everything i'm saying you get like if you had her then and you withdraw attention and build your offer up and communicate well be a good person they're going to come back they are they're going to come back like without without fail um, so, but again, you just can't be the stalker type. You can't just be giving tons of attention. You can't be dissolving and wasting that energy. Um, and, and women naturally are looking for like the best possible mate. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're looking for that hypergamy. And so if you just get so focused on proving yourself, they will want to be with you. Yep. As long as you're not doing any weird stuff and not like kind of like, as long as you treat them well and you know, and there's a, all those good things are there, then they'll want to be with you. Yep. And I think just even like, you know, you're in Miami as well. I'm in Miami. And I think just even seeing it, right? Like going to the clubs, you name it. For me, like the 1% of the male, the top 1%, they truly get 99% of the girls. And it's crazy, right? Because what you're talking about, it's pre-selection. It's, it's, they have social proof. They're, they're confident, right? And sometimes what's crazy is like, it's not even the guy. In fact, most of the time, it's not even the guy that has the most money. Right, you in Miami, you see all these guys with tons of money, spending money on on bottles. Not a single girl's at their table. Yep. Yet it's it's the guy who just he knows all the girls. He has good game. He he carries himself well. He's in shape. He uh, you know 
he he might be doing decent, but he has that confidence, he has that charisma, and that's really what's what's that, attracting the girls. That, that's why a lot of the nightclubs can be a massive famoose the goose if you don't have it set up correctly. If you're four or five guys dropping a bunch of money on some bottles and you're in a table just with yourself, you're, it's, you're not gonna go very, very far. Yeah. But if you're the one of two or three guys at a table with 10 chicks, um, you have a way bigger advantage. Yep. If the other guys are worth 100 million and you freaking are sitting on 5K in your bank account, but you got all the girls with you, that pre-selection is way more powerful. Yep. Um, and, and again, it's like when you're in a club, that's what people are looking at as far as status. It's like, who is there with, with the chicks? Like, I mean, if I was walking into a club and I had like two beautiful models with me and I walk by Leo and he's there with his buddies, my value's higher. In that instant, my value is higher. I'm there with the two beautiful women at, at a nightclub. And, uh, you know, and, and so... It's like that's sort of like the game in the nightclub. It's like it's a pre-selection game, um, not necessarily I'm um, five guys dropping 20, 30K on bottles and then looking at chicks and looking. Look, it's, it's not the move. You have, to, you have to kind of create a, a state of... And that could also, you know, the lesson there is also like if you are a guy, like if you can have a couple female friends, um, that, can, that can be an advantage. In fact, even Mystery, one of the early kind of founders of Pickup, um, emphasized this. You know, it, he would focus heavily on pre-selection because it was that powerful. Yep, it's just a thing, right? And this, this, what's funny is pre-selection, all of this stuff, it really just ties back down to just standard marketing and like what drives us as humans, right? Our, our emotions, right? If everybody wants something, you're gonna want it. Yeah, and, th and there's a certain way to do the pre-selection correctly. Like if you're at a club, like if you're, you, you don't wanna be like, it's like if you're hitting on every girl, that's not the move, you wanna be chill back you know a little bit like nice but like kind of aloof and keep your attention kind of scattered if you're just honed in on one girl like it's not as powerful as, as if you're a little bit more like you have to learn how to use your attention and a lot of the times when women become very attracted it's not when they're in the midst of a conversation with you and you're giving them all this attention it's when they're observing you it's when they see you and they're like frick I, I, I want him. A lot of the times women are like, frig, like I really want, like I want him, or I'm interested. Um, it's when they're observing you and they're not even getting your attention. Then when they get it, it's that much more powerful. And so most guys, one of the mistakes they make is they start talking to a girl that they think is into them and they just talk, 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 talk until she's not interested. It's better to kind of chat a little bit, kind of get things on a little bit of a high note and then pull away. And then make her think, is he gonna talk to me? And then come back a little bit and then pull away and then chat here. And then that is way more powerful. Yep. So let's talk about in terms of becoming like a top 1% male, right? Like just being a well-rounded person. For anyone listening right now who's in their, their teens, their 20s, their 30s, they want to achieve success. You know, financially, they wanna be able to get girls. They want to, you know, build better relationships. What do you recommend? Right. And the last thing I'll say on that previous point is that I think a lot of guys that are really into a girl and they want it to work out, like in the initial talking stages, you know, approaching, they don't give the girl a chance to invest. So they just keep talking, talking, talking. They're scared of the conversation going silent. Um, so they just keep going. They ask for the Instagram right away. It's a lot more powerful to kind of chat, let it go, go awkward. And then, then she'll be like, Oh, what about you? So then she, when she, that's an investment. If she's asking you a question, what about you? You know, even sometimes like it's more powerful to kind of chill, make it seem like, okay, you know, I'm leaving, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the club, club. 
if she asks for your Instagram, it's way, way more powerful. So you always want to, if you're, if you're creating a, a connection or meeting someone, you want to give them a chance to invest. And then they're way more down to meet up with you for things to progress than if they made no investment. And then you're just delivering the, yourself to them on a silver platter. Boom, 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 boom. They're, they're not going to be as into it. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Sorry. Back to the, back to that other question. Yeah. yeah so back in terms of becoming the top 1% yeah. male, right? Like nowadays standards, standards are high and, and going back to principle, 99% of the women want the top 1% of the male. You need to be making good money. You need to be, you know, in shape as well. And you also need good game, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, I believe in doing things concurrent. So some guys are like, yeah, I'm not going to worry about meeting chicks until I achieve all these different things. And then they never feel like they're in a position to meet the girl of their dreams. They always feel like they have more to do. And so that can not necessarily be the healthiest mindset. Um, my belief is that like, yes, get hyper-focused on improving yourself. So that means getting strong, lean, and fit. In fact, the shoulder-waist ratio is like the strongest sign of physical attraction in men. There's even some research now looking at um, what and what gives a woman the best sexual satisfaction in bed. And shoulder broadness and like a taut, more taut waist is linked to sexual satisfaction for women in bed. Um, you know, crazy enough, okay? Um, but so get hyper-focused on, you know, getting strong, getting fit, looking better, um, learn to dress well, learn to be better in conversation, more charismatic, build that confidence. Um, the self is always coming through. So what does that mean? If I'm like having a conversation with a girl and I'm feeling very at ease and I'm feeling just very like comfortable, she's going to feel comfortable. If you feel very uptight and anxious, she's going to feel uptight and anxious. So if you can get better in conversation, better asking questions, um, if you can build your skill set up, become more valuable in the workplace, whether it's building a business, building a career, um, if you can create a good setup, create little effortless signs of status, um, little, you know, like example, if you're going to go to the club, you know, you do it the right way. You're not, you're five guys buying bottles and just, you know, butting up to each other. You just, you learn how to kind of play the game the right way. Um, those are all, all kind of the different keys, but yes, build a great body, dress well, learn to communicate a lot better, um, become more successful, build a strong coalition, great social circle. Um, and those are really the signs. And, and again, like there's also like ways that guys famoose the goose and pretend to, to be all those things and, and are not. If you go to a nightclub, you, you see it all the time. Um, but, but yes, become more successful, dress better, become more fit, um, and learn to communicate better is pretty much the, the signs. But as long as you're putting in work on these different things, you have to feel confident and you have to feel like a 10 out of 10. As long as you're putting in the steps, getting better, you need to not, you don't want to tell yourself, oh man, you know, I can't approach that girl. She's not going to be into me until I have X, Y, and Z. That's the wrong mindset to have. You have to accept the hand you've been dealt with, make it as best as possible, but step and talk to every girl as if you're the freaking man, you're the freaking shit. It is that important. Um, because if you tell yourself you're not enough now, when you get to that arbitrary goal, you're still going to be like, well, now I need to be here. Well, now, I, and you're always going to have that low confidence. And that confidence is what is very attractive to a female. And what is very unattractive, you can actually kill attraction very easily. And the way you can kill attraction very easily is by having insecurities, by feeling insecure. And a lot of men will lose attraction because they have insecurities, okay? And, and they make it known and, and you need to handle those, okay? If you don't have a million bucks or you're not a multimillionaire, who cares? You know, work on yourself, become better, but you still have to feel like, man, 
I would rather be me with my 20 grand than the guys with me. Like you have to create that little bit of delusion we talked about earlier. You have to feel that, you know? If you're not six foot two, you have to not give a shit you're not six foot two and feel like, fuck yeah, you know, I'm 5'10 or whatever it is. You know, you have to just own the hand that you have and then women will do something when they feel this confidence and they feel like, okay, maybe I'm into this guy. They wanna make sure it's real, so they poke you. They poke you and they see if the insecurity comes out. They poke you, they poke you. And if you have that insecurity and that insecurity comes out, well, guess what? She's gonna be like, oh, you know, he wasn't the real deal. He's not yep. for me. And so if you have that, no matter where you are, and sometimes the guys that have the, the most good looking 6'2", they have insecurity, you know? And so if you can just have, be like, have complete comfort in oneself and the power of now, Eckhart Tolle kind of teaches this. If you have complete comfort in oneself, then maybe these other guys have more money. Maybe this other guy's taller. Maybe they have X, Y, and Z. But she's like, fuck, all these other guys have a bit of insecurity. They're always trying to prove themselves to me. But fucking, you know, fucking Will. Will. He's fucking acts like Will fucking acts like he's the shit. What does yeah. he have? And it doesn't matter. They will come up with elaborate stories. She doesn't know what's in your bank account. They, yeah, they, yeah, she yeah. doesn't. You know, yeah. and it's it's really just you. But, have he, but to even if it. she, but even if she knows, you don't even have as much. So still be like, fuck, this is the one I want. Yes. And so you have to have this build your offer, become as valuable as possible, but have this element of absolute confidence, absolute comfort in yourself. You're the freaking shit. And then girls often will complain about guys because they're insecure. They're insecure. Maybe a girl dated a guy that had tons of money and so the new boyfriend, there's no issue, but now he finds out that the last boyfriend had Lambo and now he's all insecure about it. Okay, look, I've heard these stories. And I've also heard that certain girls I've dated um, when we broke up, they, they dated someone else and the fucking insecurity breaks it, okay? Yeah. It, and I've, I've, they've told me, and I'm like, man, these amateurs. If I met a girl, supermodel, whose last boyfriend was a billionaire, what would my strategy be? It'd be very, very simple. I would just be like, fucking, does, that doesn't matter. Like, you know, I, I would just, I would, cause your reality, you're always shaping, like what your frame is always being shaped on those around you and those you spend time with. So if I was dating a girl whose last boyfriend was a billionaire, I would just trivialize that very, very easily. I'd be like, oh, you know, okay, whatever. Like, you know, yeah, I don't think that's that important. I don't, I don't think going for a billionaire really is that important. Like it's just, it's obsessive. You don't need that. You know, and I'd just be like, yeah, just, I like to have a great lifestyle, you know, and I would just inform this new reality. It's about being healthy and fit. And I would basically craft my frame about like what I'm offering. And then she would fall into that frame and it wouldn't be cool. But if I did the opposite, I said, oh man, he had a billion. Fuck, oh, no way. That's crazy. And this is what fucking most guys do. Yeah. And then they just kind of make her be like, oh, maybe the last boyfriend was higher, higher status. You are informing people's reality with your frame constantly. You have to be very selective of that. Um, and so I, you know, I'd be very, very strategic. And so you can tell a story 10 different ways. So I can, you know, just like it, you know, in the courtroom, you can deliver information a certain way. You can make things look 10 different ways. So you could create a story about why this person's value is, is higher than this person. Now you're not articulating the story. You're just feeling it and living by it and not having that insecurity, having complete comfort in oneself. Um, and that's it. Frame mindset control. Yeah, like, so if you have a girl that's really into you, you don't wanna have your frame be like, oh man, the other guy she dated had so much money, that's crazy, or he had a Lambo, or he had this, or he was, you know, absolutely. But then also you can't be hating on it and look jealous and you look jealous and you're curious. You just have to be like, oh cool, like, you know, just be nonchalant, oh cool, yeah, I don't really think that cares, but oh cool. You can't be reactive, cool. man. These can't girls are always testing you. 
They're always yeah. testing you. Like, yeah, like, I mean, like, if I have, like, freaking some of the girl, I, mean, I spend a lot of time in Toronto, so I meet girls that, you know, hang out with Drake and shit, and, like, if they ever tell that to me, I'm like, oh, cool, everyone hangs out with him. <laughs> cool, yeah, you and everyone else, like, big deal. Like, yeah, I had a few I, girls go to his party last week. Yeah, I'm like, bro, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, cool. But, like, if you're like, oh, that's crazy, boom, valley's down. So yes. you just, you just kind of be like, cool, uh, oh, cool, and then that's it. They're testing you, man. Yeah, I don't care. Girls are so you could, smart. Any beautiful, stunning... 20-year-old girl could hang out with any celebrity at the highest echelon. It's not that hard, okay? It's not that hard. I don't care, yeah. okay? You know? Dude, when it comes to dating, I honestly believe girls are smarter than men because right. they just, they have so much experience from inbound, right? As a guy, you have to pursue the girl. So she has all these experiences that you don't have because you would already need to be basically born out of the room at a high-value high, high value guy, mm -hmm. right? Versus if, if you're you know, a beautiful woman, you get all of that. So what happens? You you get a lot of experience. You understand how to play the game. They're also pre-wired to, to honestly play the game better than us in terms of dating. And so, and I see it all the time. Like I have very smart friends, successful in business, doesn't matter because the girl will test them. The girl will create her frame, her, her reality onto the man and then the man conforms. And eventually what happens is if you conform as a male, you this alpha status you had going into the relationship, you end up becoming so beta because of her frame on yours over time, you're deteriorating, deteriorating. And next thing you know, she dumps you, she's on to that next guy. Yeah, and there's certain ways to kind of maintain the correct frame with a girl if she is kind of like overstepping and doing certain things to kind of um, take like too much control, X, Y, and Z. The coolest way to just be confident, be comfortable. And if she's kind of being a bit rude, a bit mean, the best way to diffuse it is just with humor, you know? Well, you know, like if you can just get them laughing and realize they overstepped, uh, then they'll fall into their frame effortlessly. If you can do it with laughter, it's sort of the, the, the kind of the best way to do, not be like aggressive. Hey, don't talk to me like that, you know? Just, uh, you know, so it, it, it does, that, like there's a certain way to do it, um, but there's, you know, there's a few different tools you have in your bucket to kind of regain frame. Um, you know, yeah, you can, you know, kind of, kind of make a joke, kind of making it clear, like, hey, you know, um, yeah. Hey, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and then one, you can just communicate like matter of factly, Hey, you know, be very clear with communication. Hey, no, I don't appreciate you talking to me like that. And then like, see, you just kind of pull back your attention. I mean, in a relationship, um, you know, like one of the things you have to understand is that your attention is what forms, what works and what doesn't. And so if your girl is treating you badly and you're continuing to shower her with attention and she's talking mean to you then and you tell her hey i don't you know but you just continue giving her all this attention it's not as powerful as being hey i don't i don't appreciate you talking to me that and then just pull back pull back and like and, and this works both ways men and women um and so you have to actually like uh use your attention correctly yeah yeah but i mean the best way to do it is like is it is if you can do it with humor and then make them kind of laugh while realizing like hey easy there easy there is, is the best way to do it for sure yep so Going to, let's talk about mindset, right? It sounds like you have a very bulletproof mindset now. What was that like for you? Like, did you, were there any specific moments in your life or, or things you learned or books you've read that kind of have shaped your mindset to this day? Because I do think that's where a lot of this, this stuff starts, right? A lot of men have this, this negative self-talk, this self-destructive mindset, and it really hinders them from, from taking action or, or really getting to their potential. Yeah, I saw it firsthand with my father and the way he lived his life. It was 
No matter what you want to do, you can do it. You just have to work very, very, very hard. If you're willing to put in the work, if you're willing to set goals, then you will achieve that goal. And so the, the lesson there is that self-belief is linked um, with, with working hard. Like, so most people do not work hard because they don't think they could accomplish it anyway. Why would you work hard to build a million dollar a year business if deep down you're like, this is not gonna work. You're gonna half-ass it, you're gonna pretend, but you're not gonna, it's not gonna be real. If you know deep down, if I put in the work, I'm absolutely gonna achieve this goal, then you will work like no one else and, and you'll follow through. And so it's important to develop that self-belief and how you develop that self-belief is, you know, maybe right now you can only do 10 push-ups. Now get to 15, now get to 20, now get to 10 pull-ups. Now work on these little fitness feats, progress in fitness, then set some goals. You know, I'm gonna wake up earlier. I'm gonna, hey, I'm gonna work on this for two. Just start to say you're gonna do something, follow through. Set a goal, knock it down. When you do this constantly, but this becomes your life, you develop this insane self-belief and then you can set bigger and bigger and bigger goals. Um, I think, you know, one of the mistakes that people make is they, they're not doing anything and they set some crazy goal and they don't have that self-belief. So they regress. Like you want to create those big, big, big goals when you have more and more self-belief. Um, but that's really the key. But yeah, the way my father lived his life was just, was, was very much impressed on me. And it was very much like, I'm going to build something amazing. I'm going to work harder than anyone else. Um, and, you know, I know when he was very, very young, you know, he's, he was, you know, he had huge, huge goals and he just, he just kind of followed through. Yep. Yep. And it was always, and the main thing as well is that like, you're always taking responsibility. The easiest way you break a winning mindset is by taking away responsibility and be like, oh, it was this fault or all oh, the conditions weren't right. And, oh, you know what? I, the other guy got lucky. I got unlucky. It was, I got, you know, this and that. As soon, and this is what actually, you know, uh, Jordan Belfort said, which is actually quite a good quote, was that the story you tell yourself about why, you know, you, you know, about what's holding you back is exactly why, you know, you won't be successful. So if you have a story, a victim story about why it's harder for you, why it shouldn't, uh, why you can't do it, that is what's going to hold you back. So if you are going to become successful, you have to, no matter what, even if the cards are stacked against you, I don't care if, if the cards are stacked against you. You have to just be like, this is in my control. This is my responsibility. And all of the most insane case studies of people becoming successful against all odds, no matter what the reason was, none of them use that as like, yeah, as an excuse. Oh, it's gonna be harder for me because X, Y, Z. I mean, look, look, look at Bruce Lee, right? He was an Asian actor. There was no leading Asian actor. There was no leading man role as an Asian actor. It was not a thing. In fact, there was massive prejudice against him um, because he was Asian. He got kicked off. He was like, he was very impressive that he got, he, he got that role um, in, uh, you know, Cato, the, the uh, Green Hornet. Um, he got that role, but he started to outshine, the, this is rule number one of, uh, of uh, 48 Laws of Power. He outshined the master. The, he got more attention and excitement than the leading actor and they booed him off the show. Um, and he, he got discouraged, but he's like, well, you know what? Like, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to make a, make movies here in America in the way I want to. So I'm gonna go back to Hong Kong, I'm gonna do some cool stuff and come back to America. And so you cannot use like you any sort of disadvantage you have, you have to just take complete responsibility. Yes, you're gonna get discouraged. Yes, things can be hard, but you have to go back to the drawing board and come up with a plan of attack and not let that hold you back. Um, and then, you know, like Bruce Lee with Enter the Dragon, you'd be like, uh, 
you know, become one of the highest grossing films at the time. And, you know, had he not passed away, he would have had insane amounts of opportunities in America. Um, and then, but you know, crazy enough, he paved the way for a lot of other actors of different backgrounds to enter the scene. And he inspired uh, many, many different actors and, you know, Jackie Chan and, and different people like that. And, and even Arnold Schwarzenegger from Austria, his accent was very inspired by Bruce Lee. So even though he didn't achieve his goal, he paved the way for many people to, to, uh, to come forward. Yep. Yeah. So I guess in terms of, in terms of just key things you need, right? Like we've covered a lot of stuff. So it's, it's, it's discipline, right? It's, it's working hard. It's, it's having the confidence, right? What would you say would be like the top three things for, let's say, you know, a, a male starting out, like what are the, the three key emotional traits that someone really needs to build on that will really dictate their future success? Yeah. So, and again, the last thing I'll say, uh, previous, um, to that previous point is that like, Working very, very hard, being very, very driven is all very, very important. But there's like a missing link that some people don't do is they just, they don't get good feedback. They don't see the needle move and they just keep working hard, keep working hard, keep working hard. It's like a certain point that just becomes low IQ. Like you have to make those, when things are not working, you have to go back to the drawing board and you have to come up with a hypothesis. Why are things not working? So you have to do audits. You have to become obsessed with working hard, auditing, what's worked, what didn't, let's tweak. Some people just put in, which is called kind of working dumb, not, you know, not working smart. Yeah. Some of us put in work without doing any audits and tweaking. I became obsessed with what was working, what wasn't working. And I made f certain adjustments that was very, very powerful throughout my years. Um, but the, the three traits that are important I find for success. Um, so absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, here's, you know, here, here's, you know, here's an unusual one is that being incentivized. Okay. Being incentivized is very, very important. So, you know, human beings, we respond very well to incentive. And I feel like when your testosterone levels are higher, I believe you're actually, you respond higher to incentive. Um, you are willing to take on more risk, take more arrows to achieve a much higher, higher reward. Um, but, you know, the three traits becoming successful, especially like as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you have to be willing to take risk and willing to accept like those costs. You have to have almost like that very strong, sense of confidence, a little bit delusional, but also based in reality. And, uh, you know, you probably have to work well with people and, 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 you know, cause there's countless examples of, you know, being very, very smart, um, having that drive ambition, having all those in spades. But if people don't like working with you and people don't like working for you and people don't really, uh, connect with you, well, you're not going to go very far. So being a people person, making people really want to go above and beyond for you is absolutely vital. Um, if, if most of your dealings with team people and other people are negative, it's not a very good sign. If you rub people the wrong way, and there's a lot of people like this that have drive, that are intelligent, that work hard, but fricking people don't like working with them and they don't get very far at all. It's actually, it's actually better to be a little less smart, but fucking people dig you, man. And even you see that in, in, in acting in, in Hollywood, the people that end up making the most money, people love working with, um, yep. even like, you know, for example, the rock, like. Is he the best actor? No, but I mean, he's he's making movie after movie after movie. People like working with him. And then some other actors that are incredible, like Edward Norton, insane. People don't really love working with him. Yeah. But I love Edward, by the way. Edward Norton, I fucking <laughs> love you, dude. Make more movies. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the word, right? So like you can be insanely talented, hardworking, but if you rub people the wrong way, um, you do not go far. Yeah. 
So I like being a, like, you know, being a really good people person, being very driven and, and you know, those sort of things. Yeah. Those are all key. Yeah. So what would you say now? And having a vision really is important. You have to have a strong vision. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be able to, to map out what you want in life and, and go after it. Right. And I think that's also another reason why a lot of people don't go after things is because they don't even know where they want to go. Right. So going back to dating right now that you've, you know, you've been dating over the years, where, what do you look for now in, in, you know, in, in an ideal woman for you? Yeah. So I like a woman that's very feminine, very sweet, very nurturing, um, very, very beautiful, has more of that is, is fun to hang out with. So like, I mean, obviously I work very hard and obviously there's a little bit of stress in my life. Um, so when I spend time with a woman, like I want to have a good time, um, and you know, caring, honest, um, loyal, um, fun, likes to laugh, um, has that giving quality and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, good conversation, you know, a little bit intelligent. And I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. That's like, that's, uh, I don't need a girlfriend or a partner that's extremely ambitious and hardworking. I don't need that. I don't, I don't care for that. I mean, if, if you, they have that and, and that's there, it's fine. But like, I'm not more drawn to someone that's very, very ambitious, very, very driven. Like I like someone that takes care of their health, that goes to the gym, that wants to be healthy, um, that has a good routine that, you know, takes care of their, their mental health and, and themselves like that. Um, all that, that's very important, but to be hyper ambitious is not that important to, to make a high income is, is not that important. Um, I am more of like that opposites. I'm more attracted to the opposite. So if I'm very, very ambitious, I like someone that's kind of, it's kind of more like day to day, you know, live in the moment kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, I do feel opposites attract. So, um, but yeah, nurturing, sweet, feminine, um, and honest, loyal, giving, uh, wholesome, uh, you know, and fun, you know, you know, fun, a little bit of adventurous and, and go with the flow. I like someone that just very go with the flow. And again, like when you really find someone you love, like the feeling of that is like, you just kind of, it just feels right. You connect. Um, and you know, when you hang out with them, you just feel like you're in this own little bubble. The world like kind of stops and you're just like, you know, you're just with your girl and it just feel like, you know, you're in this little bubble together. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, that's probably what I, what I look for. Nice. Yeah. So I guess and like that amazing, like chemistry attraction. When you, when you've dated enough, you know, that chemistry off the spark. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you can feel the chemistry. Even when you, you know, what's funny is that you, like, there's a few little elements of, of physical attraction that people don't quite understand. So obviously like you're attracted to, so, to how someone looks. Okay. Obviously. Um, but there's other elements that is harder to understand that is very powerful. You could see someone that looks great but then there's, there's missing this chemistry. It's not just like, oh, you know, we had a good conversation. It's like when you kiss, there's saliva, there's the mix of saliva is designed to tell if you're a good match. And if you're a good match, like attraction spikes, sexual attraction, arousal spikes. If you're not a good match, you might kiss them and not feel that much. Um, scent, right? You know, if you have a woman you're just hyper attracted to, like there's that, that scent is intoxicating. You might see a girl that you think is beautiful and then you're sitting, you're next to her and you don't feel that extra attraction. And when things are heating up, you don't feel as much arousal. The scent and the, the saliva, it's all ways to determine if someone's a good genetic match. And when I look back to the woman I've been the absolute most attracted to, the scent was in, like not, not like a perfume, but like the natural scent was like, completely intoxicating. 
Um, and, and then the same is true, man to woman, woman to man. Um, so like when you're going to really, and that's a good thing to qualify for and, and actually like be a little bit cognizant of, because when that, when, when you do have, when you are very attracted to the scent and there is like that kissing feels really good and things heat up easily because the saliva is a good match well, you're going to have healthier, stronger offspring. Um, but I think, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if other guys can relate to like having, seeing a girl was absolutely beautiful, but then like things kind of start picking up and you're just like, yeah, it's not Take it there. or leave it. The spark's not there. The spark's not there, you yeah. know? So, I mean, I've, I've had that before where, you know, I've uh, had a girl who's extremely beautiful, but I'm like, I'm not really, I'm not really, this is not really doing it for yeah. me. And, and I um, think both sides can tell too, right? Yeah. It's it's the reason why girls aren't going after the best looking guy, right? Like that's that, that core chemistry is also very important. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So I guess uh, what's what's in plan for this year any any big things that you're you're really working on right now that's that's on your mind yeah so this new offer we're working on is like helping like the big problem that is happening right now is males testosterone levels are low they're very low um they're down about 40 percent from the 80s which is wow. a, a huge huge drop so like if the average guy in the 80s was around 650 700 750 they're down like, you know, into 400, under 500, 400, 500. Um, and so I'm doing a whole offer um, on helping men. It's a 30 day challenge. I recommend doing it for two, at least two months, but to help guys take the right steps every day um, to support higher levels of total free testosterone, cut out these different activities and endocrine disruptors that are hurting their body's ability to produce testosterone um, and take the right correct supplements to help kind of, because right now, like you kind of need a fighting, you need to give yourself a fighting chance of certain compounds that can reduce, help reduce estrogen, help increase testosterone. Tongetali is one of them. Boron is good. Forescali, magnesium, zinc, taking the right compounds um, and really getting that T level dialed in. Because again, all the things we talked about earlier, you know, whether it's being confident, whether it's having that ability to start a business, be incentivized, be driven, whether it's, you know, having that comfort in oneself, have that confidence, approaching beautiful women, um, building, you know, connection chemistry. If your T levels are really operating at a very low level, all those things are way harder. It's an uphill battle. When you can get your total and free T up, you wake up with more drive. You feel more passion. You speak with more energy. Do you ever see those guys that just talk and you just, it's like watching paint dry? Yeah, like low energy. Yeah, just like, don't, 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 don't. It's like, shut the, wow, why am I listening to you, man? Um, <laughs> I see it. I see, I even saw it. I see it, but like when you get that free tea up and you feel energized and you feel that enthusiasm, that yeah. passion, and you all, you become more attractive, you become more charismatic, you become more driven, all these things help. And so most men these days, their tea levels are lower than they should be. Uh, and I do not think for the mass majority of people going on TRT is the right move. I think maybe a very small subset of men might have to do that if they have some uh, health issue that cannot be corrected. Um, like, you know, I have a friend that had a really, really bad concussion and his, and his T levels shut down. Um, but again, like you might think you have an issue, but, but a lot of times, um, T levels can get shut down if you're obese. So if you're 30, 40 pounds overweight for an extended period of time, uh, T levels can really shut down. Um, but I believe that in the mass majority, taking the right, correct steps, doing the right, correct things, um, you can get your T levels in a great spot and that's when life becomes so much better. But, um, from the tap water, from, uh, you know, different uh, uh, fragrances in our, that most people put on body wash every day and, and use a uh, scented laundry detergent that are loaded with phthalates into their body um, from having their phone uh, producing signals right next to the testicles. There, there is so many different things in our environment 
that can suppress T levels. There's there even certain foods that are anti-estrogenic, um, or sorry, an, uh, anti-androgenic, estrogenic. Um, and there's so many things you have to kind of uh, control for. Um, there's even phthalates and compounds in foods. So like if you take the right steps, um, you can make such a positive difference. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think nobody talks about that enough, yeah. right? Testosterone. So yeah, it's become, it's starting to emerge. Um, but still very few people ever get their T levels checked. And most people are even people that are active and healthy and fairly lean are kind of like, shit, my levels are kind of lower. And it, maybe if they're not lower, maybe they're like, oh, you know, my total T is good. I'm six, 700, but then they get their free T and they're at like, you know, nine nanograms per deciliter, which is not great. So it is something to look at. And it's something now as a man, you have to start to take positive steps to maintain high, healthy levels of tea production. It's something you, you have to care about as far as the right training, the right um, rest and sleep and vitamin D, uh, the right nutrition, and you know, really cutting out all these different endocrine disruptors from, from, your, from your life as much as you can within reason. Amazing. Know? Yeah. I've so, never gotten my tea tested, but I, I might have to you, now and, and check with you. So yeah, you're 27 or 27. 27. Yeah, yeah. Get your tea. Level. Even if your levels are great, it's just good data to have that way. Maybe in five, six years, if you have some issues and you, you feel indifferent, you can be like, okay, uh, my tea levels are down. So what happened? You can actually see the, the data or you might be like, oh, you know what? My tea levels are the same. Everything's good. I'm just having some extra stress in my life, mm -hmm. whatever it is. But I recommend everyone get your tea levels checked. Um, and so, yeah, we have a uh, mojo, uh, uh, kinomojo.com, Mojo Mastery. We have like this uh, whole plan of attack to help get your levels up. And if you feel like doing all these things we talked about in this episode feels like an uphill battle, well, getting your T levels to a really great place is going to make it much easier. Um, risk tolerance is linked to testosterone. Confidence is linked to testosterone. Leadership is linked to testosterone. Um, being willing to take on discomfort and push hard, it's easier when your testosterone levels are high. So there's a massive advantage, there's a secret advantage to having higher levels of testosterone. If your levels are, you know, 400, 450, and you get them up to 600, it's gonna be a massive improvement in the quality of your life. Yeah. And it's not as much like, yes, sure, maybe like building muscle, building a better physique will improve, you know, within, re it doesn't, it's not like getting your T levels from 400, 600 is gonna make this massive difference where you're in the gym and you're just, so much bigger, stronger. You have to take like un super physiological doses to get a massive muscle building difference. It will help, but it's not like this massive game changing thing. But the difference it makes in your day to day quality of life is huge. Mm -hmm. um, it gives you that certain je ne sais quoi, which is what I talk about. And that's why we call it the mojo. You get your mojo back. It makes a very, very strong difference. So that's what the big thing is, um, but we're doing. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll have to check it out. I'll let you know once my, uh, once I get my T, T levels tested get your, and there's lots of people doing like the different TRT clinics and helping men with TRT and stuff like that. And there is definitely a cost. I don't think that, I think that's really a last resort, especially if you're in your thirties, twenties, early forties, I think that's really a last resort and that stuff does mess with fertility and it does yeah. have some certain downsides. So the really the highest quality of life is getting your T levels to a great spot naturally. And you know, and, and some really great things happen when you do it like that. So, so that's the plan. Yeah. All right. Well, I figured we covered a whole bunch of things. We covered wealth, we covered fitness, we covered business, dating, mindset, testosterone, just, just so many different things. So I feel like that was, uh, that was quite a lot just for the audience to really listen in and, and, and digest. But hopefully this podcast was extremely helpful to anyone listening, any, any last words on your end, Greg? I mean, you know, I think like one of the important things we touched on was really 
uncovering what is the reality you want to create. What's the life that you want to create? Take a few days to yourself, map it out, get rid of outward influence and just think what makes Will, you know, what makes life worth living and high and very fulfilling for Will and uncover that and start to act within that. And that's when life becomes really, really good. And, and, and so much is built off the backbone of having your health on point. If your health is off, all of these things become way harder. When I really got focused on getting strong, getting lean, getting powerful, that gave me so much more freaking power to start to build my business and take action. So I recommend uncover the exact life you want, get very focused on building a strong, lean, powerful body, creating more free testosterone in your body and go after what you really want and ignore sort of these different outward influences. And if that means you have to audit your life and see what you're doing and see what's bringing you happiness, what's not bringing you happiness, what is creating that ultimate life look like, then do it. But I think so many people just wake up and go through the motions. They don't take the time. And then all of a sudden they're 40 years old and they don't even have the life that they want. So it's really important to do this stuff as you're young. And this is something I've been always like really focused on because I do know life is so short. You have to make sure you're, you're playing the right game and building the right life for you. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate you. Uh, to anyone listening, thanks for listening and staying to the end. So, my pleasure, man. Awesome.